Can't pay the IRS? Haven't filed in a while? Receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA employs brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, they've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call one 800 245 6000 That's one 800 245 6000 Or visit taxnetworkusa.com slash victor. Taxnetworkusa.com slash victor. Hello, America, and welcome to a special Saturday edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News. I decided that this story was just too much fun to wait to Monday or Tuesday to tell. Uh, during this week, there was quite a kerfuffle out on social media, on Twitter, when Nicole Hannah-Jones, a New York Times journalist, the author of the 1619 Project, that's the project that argues that America's history Historical start should not be 1776 when the Declaration of Independence was founded and written and signed, but rather 1619 when the first African slave was brought to North America. A lot of people disagree with that. They find it controversial. They see it as a form of distorting American history. But all that aside, we know about that controversy. But to go, Hannah Jones put out a tweet suggesting that the practice of tipping, giving a 10 or 15 or 20%, 25% tip to a server or a housekeeper or other people who work in the service industry, that that was uniquely American and clearly racist coming out of the goal to pay slaves after they were freed after the Civil War less money than white workers. It got quite a reaction. And the man who launched that reaction is the economic historian Philip Magnus, Phil Magnus, He really took it on with a carefully researched response, and his response was so powerful, his response was so compelling that Nicole Hannah-Jones actually withdrew her tweet. She took it down. Because the truth of the matter, as Phil is going to tell us in a few seconds, is that tipping has been around in many countries going back a long time before slavery and the Civil War, and it's currently practiced in a lot of places elsewhere as well. And so it didn't hold up this claim. Not surprisingly, it didn't hold up, but it did create a kerfuffle on the social media world. And I thought you should just hear directly from Phil Magnus, the whole story. And well, you know, we'll talk about critical race theory. We'll talk about some of the other things going on in this world today that most Americans scratch their head at or raise concerns that were distorting history, distorting America. But Phil Magnus is the author of the 1619 Project, A Critique. He's also written many other good books. He is currently a director of research and education at the American Institute for Economic Research. He is an economic historian. Great guy. We're going to bring him on. That's going to be our Saturday fair today. So 
sit back, kick your shoes off, grab a soda or a good sweet tea, and listen to my really fun conversation with Phil Magnus, economic historian, researcher, and the person who blew up this concept that tipping was somehow uniquely American racist. We're going to get to that right after this commercial break, so get ready. We're going to be right back with a really great conversation. You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. Chronic stress wreaks havoc on blood sugar, which can cause your body to store excess fat. Stress can also slow your metabolism, which fuels weight gain. And you know all about stress eating and sugar cravings, right? Now the good news. The studied ingredients in Lean have been shown to help maintain healthy blood sugar levels, help optimize metabolism, and keep your appetite under control. Now, if your life is a bit stressful like mine and you want to lose weight, add Lean to your healthy diet and exercise lifestyle. Now get 15% off and free shipping at takelean.com. That's takelean.com and enter the promo code justnews15. That's the promo code justnews15 at takelean.com. One more time, takelean.com. Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and it's not a substitute or alternative for care from a healthcare provider. Folks, we're sponsored today by Donors Trust, the tax-friendly way to preserve your charitable giving. In times of crisis, those with a giving spirit and a desire to build up civil society find ways to be helpful. And that's when it's good to have a charitable resource ready to deploy when they're needed most. Donors Trust offers donor-advised funds or giving accounts. You can use these funds as your own charitable investment account and manage your charitable giving in a way that's smart, tax-advantaged, aligned with your values, and private. Donors Trust clients are using their funds to support charities helping their local communities while also using their giving account to simultaneously support think tanks and liberty-minded organizations that believe our constitutional rights shouldn't get lost in a time of emergency. Now is the time to take a closer look at Donors Trust and join their community of liberty-minded donors by opening a donor-advised fund. Go to DonorsTrust.org slash JustNews for the ultimate survival guide to charitable giving and learn how a donor advised fund can preserve your ability to give to the charities you love. That's DonorsTrust.org slash JustNews. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. My next guest is, this is going to be a fun conversation. Buckle your seatbelts. We're going to take a little history lesson. And not and normally you say history is not exciting. It is exciting. It's one of my favorite things. Joining us right now, Dr. Philip Magnus. He's an economic historian. He's written some of the best books and also some really great scholarly articles. He knows history. And I know he knows this because he caught some people cheating on history this week. Uh, Phil, great to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. An amazing, uh, I don't know what to say, a history uh, lesson delivered via uh, Twitter. Uh, there were some pretty significant liberal activists, Eugene Scott among them, uh, who's obviously very closely tied to the 1619 Project, that suggested that tipping began during this era of slavery in America, and then it helped keep uh, former black slaves' wages low. You heard this, and uh, something went off in the alarm bell, didn't it? Yeah, so I uh, first noticed it with a tweet that Nicole Hannah-Jones, who's uh, more famously known as the creator of the 1619 Project, uh, she just randomly announced that tipping is, quote, the legacy of slavery, and if it's not optional, then it shouldn't be a tip and shouldn't be included in the bill. And she asked, have you ever stopped to think why we tip, why tipping 
is a practice in the U.S. and almost any, uh, nowhere else? And her answer is that she claims that tipping emerges from slavery. Wow. You so naturally, you're a scholar. You go research. What'd you find out? Well, it, it immediately uh, you know, set off the alarm bells, as you know, because we actually have records of tipping that long predate uh, this period that she's talking about. She's claiming that in the aftermath of the Civil War, people didn't want to play African-Americans uh, a fair wage, so they resorted to tipping instead to underpay them. And yet we have records going all the way back to William Shakespeare's plays, Twelfth Night, that was uh, first performed in 1602, has a scene where there's a, a jester who gets tipped for playing a song. There's a long history that comes from that of, of recorded instances of tipping. Yeah, so we have records going back to the Middle Ages that tipping was, in fact, a very common practice that emerged out of Europe. Uh, there are even instances of explorers in the Age of Discovery that go around other parts of the world, and they find that it's a social custom to tip the servants, tip the people that are attending to your room, uh, uh, you know, maybe, maybe it's the, the maid or the waiter, people that are in service roles. And this tradition uh, really did carry forward from the Middle Ages to uh, becoming a very common economic practice. So Nicole Hannett-Jones is really kind of telling a, an anachronistic story of history that doesn't fit with the facts. Yeah, you hit a nerve with Nicole Hannah-Jones because she, uh, she lashed out at you and accused you of being obsessed with her and her philosophies. Uh, but then she did something pretty remarkable. Did she not delete this tweet? She absolutely deleted the tweet. And if you know Nicole Hannah-Jones, this is a pattern with her, um, especially when she makes some uh, false historical claims on Twitter or in her own uh, social media, and someone challenges them, and they become a point of embarrassment. Oftentimes, they create a new story around it, as this one did, and as previous ones have, and she goes and sends it down the memory hole. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. And she calls herself a journalist, so accuracy is kind of important if you're going to be a journalist. At least it used to be. I'm not, I'm not sure that today it's become as important. I, we see so many false stories. Um, I found something really fun that you do. You know, you, you did some really serious historical research, but then you found something kind of just kind of simple in pop culture, right? Good housekeeping can prove that tipping goes all around the world because they had rates for tipping in every country. That was kind of an easy comeback, wasn't it? Yeah, that's absolutely the case. And, uh, you know, this comports with my own experience as someone who's traveled around the world. Almost anyone that's been to other countries knows that quite a few of them have similar customs of tipping as the United States does. And these are not societies that uh, are following from the, the, the legacy of slavery, as Nicole Hannah Jones and these others have claimed. Yeah, pretty, pretty remarkable. So it uh, isn't just unique to the United States, and it didn't start in the era of slavery, and it has been around in many countries for a long time, I guess. Uh, well, I don't know, because she didn't get anything right in that tweet when you look at it. I guess uh, when you go back, it's she's quite a controversial figure, and, and uh, in some ways I feel bad because these things really do harm one's credibility as a journalist. You can't get major things like this uh, wrong and, and, and continue to call yourself a journalist. So what an amazing moment. And I think, you know, when I look at this now, there seems to be this extraordinary revisionism of American history. Uh, obviously, the 1619 Project suggesting that the founding of our country goes to the first slave in 1619 and not the Declaration of Independence. That's one part of the revision. But it seems like almost on a daily or weekly basis, someone on the left is finding something in America that's just basic and common and trying to find a nefarious attachment to it. Why do you think we're caught in this cycle of victimization and blame? Well, I think it's uh, part of a larger political agenda that tries to discredit basic common economic activity. So uh, when I saw the, the, the tweets that were coming out about tipping, it reminded me of another part of the 1619 Project, and this was another author by the name of Matthew Desmond, 
And one of the things he claims in the 1619 project is if you are using Microsoft Excel spreadsheets in your business, you're using a practice that comes from the slave plantations. And again, it's another ahistorical, anachronistic (laughs) He's basically saying his uh, plantations used accounting books. Well, guess what? So did every other business uh, as far as recorded history of accounting uh, happens to go. This is, again, another practice that long predates the plantations. And, And yet he's trying to make this claim as if that discredits accounting. And the larger message here is that accounting is discredited. So is capitalism. So is uh, uh, the free market. So there's a common theme to these types of revisions. They're trying to tear down institutions and practices that are uh, really in in the way of a uh, pretty far left political agenda. Yeah. You know what's amazing about this? And when I first came to Washington 30 years ago, uh, I had a chance to talk to some of the great uh, Cold War fighters, some of the folks that in the 50s and 60s and 70s truly were trying to keep communism out of the United States and uh, the threat of uh, Soviet intervention out of uh, Western countries. And they said, I remember these early lessons that I gained as a very young reporter, that one of the efforts that Marxists and communists tried to destabilize America was to try to tear down the institutions of freedom. So capitalism was bad, education was bad, um, uh, commerce was bad, there's no such thing as free markets, there's always a victim. And they used victimology and assaults on institutions in a, in a failed effort to uh, uh, attack America's you know, essence and, and what made it such a great country. It seems like that those attacks have moved from the communists on the outside to the internal side of our country to a, a, a particular political ideology. Uh, are, is there a lot of Marxism, communism uh, in these sort of attacks on our institutions that you're seeing from the left these days? Yeah, you know, well, I think it's implicit, and it's implicit in everything from uh, some of the broader narratives that you see in the 1619 Project all the way down to these tweets about tipping. You know, the thing I point about tipping is uh, the left really hates this practice because tipping has an element of meritocracy in it. It's uh, if you perform a task well, you go above and beyond as a server at a table, uh, you're going to get rewarded as an individual of that. They really see uh, the laboring class as like this collective group. And as part of the collective group, it should all be at a a fixed base wage that's uh, very consistent with like minimum wage ideology. So uh, you, you see implicit practices of just uh, routine life that are now being demonized because they chase with uh, this very collectivistic, anti-individualistic notion of how economic activity should occur. Yeah, truly fascinating and really anti-capitalist at its, at its core when you, when you really listen to some of these folks. There has always been a gap or a, a debate about income inequality in America. We're always trying to get it right. Uh, we've seen some of the greatest strides in income equality occurred in the four years of the Trump presidency. But the origins of income income equality, the left tries to put all of them at the seat and table of uh, slavery predominantly. Uh, but when you look at it as a historian, as someone who studied it, income equality comes from a lot of different factors. Uh, what's your take on how we got to some inequalities and how, as a country, we've been extracting us, uh, ourselves from those inequalities over the years? No, that's absolutely the case. Uh, what we find is that inequality tends to follow routine business cycle events in the economy. It also uh, changes in response to things like natural disasters and wars and depressions. And if you look across the history of the United States, it's not this designed thing of the capitalist elite, the bourgeois 
um, imposing inequality on the poor to prop up their power. That's the Marxian narrative. What really happens is, uh, across the course of American history, is that income concentrations change in response to events that are basically beyond our control or, uh, or are very tangentially derived from uh, complex decision-making. So, for example, the Great Depression, when the stock market crashes in 1929, that reduces income inequality because it, it basically hits the, uh, the people that are at the top of the ladder the most, the, uh, the wealthiest that saw their stocks obliterated. And that ends up being a much more uh, uh, salient effect in equalizing society than all of these tax policies and redistribution that the left is in love with, with but the, the stuff that the left is enamored with comes much later, and yet they falsely credit uh, things like the leveling effects of the Great Depression uh, to their tax policy. So it's, it simply doesn't align with the history here. Um, but yet the other implication is uh, we don't want to uh, trigger another Great Depression. That's a really uh, um, unfortunate way to bring about a move toward greater equality, even though historically that's what happened. Uh, same thing with wars. Like World War II had a massive leveling effect across Europe, basically because they were bombing and blowing up the cities. Uh, that's not a strategy for reducing inequality. And yet these other prescriptive approaches, taxes, that the left is always uh, pushing, they, they don't really seem to work. The, uh, the history does not line up with the data um, in terms of what they're claiming. Yeah. For a long time, the left used a famous round of studies, the Piketty-Saez studies that I think go back to early early 2000, maybe 2002, 3, something right after the 9-11, I remember coming out. And they kind of dominate the narrative for a while. And then people start to look at the methodology and the science and like, uh, wait, this, there's some big holes in this approach. And then I think if I remember correctly, even those researchers, Piketty-Saez, uh, revise their philosophy. Tell us a little bit about the history of study and some of the problems with some of the seminal studies that were cited for a while. Well, absolutely. It's that that uh, article you mentioned came out in 2003. It was by Piketty and Saez, two economists. One's in France, the other's at UC Berkeley. Right. And basically what they claimed was that inequality changed. It was responsive to the high 91% top marginal tax rates that were imposed in the middle of the 20th century in the United States. So uh, extraordinarily high taxes, they claim that inequality is produced in response to that. And what happens is that if you dig into the data, and I've done this, I've recently published one study on this, I've written on it for, uh, for many years, and no many other economists that have worked on it, uh, it finds out that the, you find out very quickly that a lot of the decisions they're making when they construct their series out of IRS records are um, kind of like putting the thumb on the scale to fit the narrative that they wanted to tell. Uh, so they make basic accounting errors, basic mistakes yeah. in response to uh, some of the things you need to do with the IRS data. So, for example, IRS changes its accounting definitions of what counts as income over time. And in some years, they'll add new categories like charitable contributions you can deduct. Uh, other years, they take some of those categories away. You have to standardize it over time, and what we find is uh, Piketty and Sayers didn't do that, and then very conveniently, the adjustments that they're making to, to, to get this consistent series for the century all happen to align with the political story that they wanted to tell. Amazing. Amazing. Yep. Uh, academia at the convenience of politics. How about that? Uh, that is absolutely. 
one of the dangers, uh, and we've seen it a lot. And I think we're seeing another version of that now with the 1619 Project. Um, you've been a student of history for a long time and the, the American experience. Uh, these philosophies, critical race theory, 1619 Project, income inequality, um, uh, victimatology, I would say, uh, they grew for really quickly uh, for about three or four years. And then I think the pandemic, when parents got home and realized what their children were listening and being fed at school, they, they started this parents' right revolt. And, uh, and you see a pushback against critical race theory. Is America at a tipping point? Is it about to push back on some of these institutions and philosophies that seeped into the education system? Well, here's the thing is uh, higher ed has always been sold to the uh, public as well as K through 12 education as an investment in the future. It's something that's supposed to bring a return to society. We educate our children. They get better jobs. We fund science. We fund high-end research, and we get new medical technology. We get new discoveries. So that's the premise of why taxpayers are willing to give money into the education system. When it turns out the education system is not servicing those purposes and is instead pushing uh, some really fringe left-wing ideology, which I think is uh, becoming more and more apparent, then the taxpayers, uh, you know, as they're right, as a basic principle of public finance, um, have input on how their money is spent. Uh, they go to their legislature and say, maybe we no longer want to fund this anymore. Right. We no longer want to subsidize political activism. And I think that's really what we're on the cusp of, right? Yeah. And we, we thought our educators were teaching our children how to think, and now we're finding out they're teaching them what to think. And I think that that exactly. crossing that Rubicon has awakened uh, the mama bear and the papa bear of uh, American parenthood. It's, uh, it's amazing to watch. Last question, Phil, as we look out now, and class warfare seems to be the leading edge Class and race warfare seem to be the leading edge of the far left uh, that dominates the Democratic Party. Republicans seem to be going back to their roots of opportunity, uh, smaller uh, government. Let's go back to federalism. Let, let the states come up with the best ideas and get bumbling Washington out of the way. Are these new? Uh, the are these next two elections really the um, referendum on which direction we're going to take this country over the next 20, 30, 40 years? Well, that's the fascinating thing. I mean, I, I'm, I'm more an observer of politics than a participant in it. But, uh, you know, the observations I'm seeing is people are indeed fed up with the performance of the federal government over the past uh, several years. And really, the pandemic did bring that to the forefront, both with the lockdown policies that we had, but also, as you mentioned, you know, uh, parents seeing what their kids are being taught at school when it's transferred out of the classroom and onto a Zoom call that they can see in their home. Yeah, right. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, it, voters are energized and they're alarmed at the direction of the of the country uh you know the message here is, is basically is if republicans pick up on that i think they're going to do very well and if democrats ignore that as we saw in last year's midterms with the virginia election when they they really kind of thumb their nose at uh, at people that were concerned about the school uh situation right. concerned about the lockdowns uh you know they, they're going to be upended at the polls uh, in very unexpected ways do you think if people watched the hearings uh, of Judge Jackson, the Supreme Court nomination hearings, that they got an eye-opening experience about what a product of the judicial philosophy of a Harvard uh, Law School resembles today versus maybe 20, 30 years ago? Is is she sort of the prototype of the thinking that the left would like to see in its judges going forward? Yeah, you know, it's always hard to see exactly where a judge is going to go because they're intentionally guarded in their answers. And I think what we saw over the last few days uh, 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 with, with Judge Jackson Brown is uh, she's basically 
evading some of these uh, very pointed questions that we're asking about things like critical race theory. And, uh, you know, that's a typical philosophy, uh, the typical uh, strategy that they use during these confirmation hearings. Uh, but the fact that these questions are being asked, even when they're not being asked in the most articulate ways, is showing that people are waking up to uh, uh, some of the trends that have pervaded academia. And I don't know in particular where uh, she falls on each of those trends, other than she certainly comes out of academia at a time when they were in the ascendance, but were basically not being noticed. And the thing is that now they're, they're finally being noticed, yeah. uh, not just by politicians, but by the general public. They're being illuminated. There's no doubt about it. And uh, that debate has now legitimately begun. Phil, it's great to see your work. I, I was so fascinated by this uh, Twitter history lesson you managed to give America. I'm very grateful for it to it. And uh, unfortunate to see uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones having to actually take down a tweet because it was inaccurate. That's not good for journalism, but it is good right. that you were able to give the American people the real facts. And I want to thank you for that very much. Absolutely. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we've got more discussion about the Supreme Court nomination that hit us all this week. We'll be right back after this. Hey, folks, as we approach another critical election, a wave of concern washes over America. Recent studies reveal that an astonishing 56% of our fellow citizens report feelings of anxiety or dread about the upcoming presidential election. That's why I stand with AMAC. AMAC is more than a senior discount organization. During these challenging times, they fight for common sense and hope that our nation returns to traditional American values. Visit amac.us forward slash just news today to seize an exclusive election year special, a four-year AMAC membership for just $30. That's right. You heard me right. Four years for 30 bucks. As an AMAC member, you're not only enjoying money-saving benefits, but also the AMAC magazine, free Social Security and Medicare advice, a trusted voice in Washington, and a community of like-minded patriots who love this great nation. Take advantage of this election year special four years for $30 and be part of the solution over the next four years. By becoming an AMAC member, you're strengthening a movement dedicated to preserving the principles we hold dear in this great country. Join now at amac.us slash just news. That's amac.us slash just news. Hey folks, John Solomon here from John Solomon Reports. I'm proud to be on the iHeartRadio app every day with my podcast, with the news that we bring, the exclusive interviews. And you know what else is great? You can listen to any iHeartRadio station anywhere in the country inside this free app. I used to listen to all sorts of radio on my AM or FM radio. Today, I don't have time to be in the car that often. You know where I listen? I listen on the iHeartRadio app. It's awesome. And they have some really cool new features, unlike anything else in the market. One of them is called Talk Back Mike. Anytime I have something to say, I tap the mic and send my voice message and then listen to hear my voice on one of my favorite shows. Isn't that cool? You can send a message to your favorite disc jockey, your favorite podcast show host. So be sure to download the iHeart app radio. If you don't have it right now, the iHeart radio app is a winner. Be sure to download the free iHeart radio app today and start streaming your favorite radio stations, your favorite podcasts, and your favorite music playlists right from the iHeart radio app. All right, folks, that wraps up a special Saturday edition. I'm really glad that you could join me. I don't do this every Saturday, but every so often we come across something so interesting. It's like, you know what? 
Let's take the time and break it out into a special podcast. And thanks to Phil Magnus, we were able to do that today. And thanks to you, we're able to make this a show, a conversation, a community, like we always do at John Solomon Reports. Hey, before you go, there is a remarkable game that's been floating around. In fact, it's based in some ways um, on my reporting, both on the Russia collusion story, which was a form of election hijacking, and then the 2020 irregularities, illegalities that we've been able to expose through factual reporting, not not conspiracy theories, factual reporting. Well, the folks at electionfund.com. Well, they created a whole game based on my reporting and others like it, Molly Hemingway and others. It's called Election 2020, You Decide. It is hysterical. It's funny. Yes, it's a board game. It has a digital extension. It is a great way to laugh about the last six years of silliness in Washington and politics. Russia collusion, Ukraine impeachment. I've mentioned it a couple times on the TV show. I think we had it mentioned one time on the podcast, but we're doing something special for you. We are going to have a special promo code. You get a special price, a special offer from the great folks at electionfund.com. All you have to do when you go to checkout, put in the words, just news. You know that one, just news. We use that for a lot of things. You'll get a discount. You'll get a very special game. It is fun. It's a great way to trigger your liberal friends. It's a great way to laugh with centrists and conservatives. And it's a good way to go back and learn some of the facts that originally we were told were fiction or conspiracy theories or falsehoods or misleading. You remember the Hunter Biden laptop? Yeah, I do. The impeachment? I do. The unraveling of the steel dossier. I do. You should too. It's a fun game. You can play it. Hey, you can have a glass of wine with it, open up a beer. It is fun on a Saturday night, and it's a good way to relive the last six years, get some more knowledge and some great one liners, and laugh. So, all you got to do right now to take advantage of this extraordinary offer is to go to electionfund.com. When you go to check out, just put in the code just news and you'll be doing something special. You'll be playing this game. It has a digital extension. We go to a website and see continuing additions to the game because every day we learn something new on this front. Go check it out. The folks who did this are great people. They're friends. It's a fun game. It'll make you laugh. It'll make you learn. You'll have some real great family time or friend time. Go check it out today, electionfund.com. It's called Election 2020, you decide. Hysterical, all you got to do is use the Just News code to get a special discount. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports. Thanks for checking in. Remember, tomorrow on Sundays, we have the best of from our television show. So tomorrow, we'll have another John Solomon Reports. Buckle up. I hope you enjoy it. We'll be back tomorrow. You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. Chronic stress wreaks havoc on blood sugar, which can cause your body to store excess fat. Stress can also slow your metabolism, which fuels weight gain. And you know all about stress eating and sugar cravings, right? Now the good news. The studied ingredients in Lean have been shown to help maintain healthy blood sugar levels, help optimize metabolism, and keep your appetite under control. Now, if your life is a bit stressful like mine and you want to lose weight, Add lean to your healthy diet and exercise lifestyle. Now get 15% off and free shipping at takelean.com. That's takelean.com and enter the promo code justnews15. That's the promo code justnews15 at takelean.com. One more time, takelean.com. 
Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and it's not a substitute or alternative for care from a health care provider. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner. Whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bite, you and your family need to be prepared. That's what we learned from this last pandemic, right? That's where the wellness company comes in. You know the wellness company. We have their great doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough on all the time on our shows. The wellness company and their doctors are medical professionals that you can trust. And the new medical emergency kits are the gold standard when it comes to keeping you safe and healthy, and most importantly, prepared. Be ready for anything. This medical emergency kit contains an assortment of life-saving medications, including ivermectin and z The medical emergency kit provides a guidebook to aid in the safe use of all of these life-saving medications. So you know what you're doing. From anthrax to tick bites to COVID and even the bioweapon like the plague, the wellness company's medical emergency kit is exactly what you need to have on hand to be prepared. Rest assured knowing that you have emergency antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics on hand to keep you and your family safe from whatever the globalists throw your way. Go to www.twchealth/justnews today in order. That's twchealth/justnews and use the promo code justnews to save 10%.